Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. A special thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Cavallo. For our Humble Hoof listeners, they are offering 20% off their Cavallo Trek hoof boots using the coupon code HRN at checkout. The Trek is the world's most popular and versatile hoof boot and Cavallo's toughest trail boot, while also doubling as an option for therapy or rehab. The front closure system makes it easily adaptable to various hoof shapes and the TPU upper design allows for maximum strength while minimizing weight for the comfort and ease of movement for your horse. These are recommended by vets and trainers and also loved as transport boots by barrel racers, show jumpers, dressage riders, and everyone in between. Again, for 20% off a pair of treks, use the code HRN at checkout at cavallo-inc.com. If you're struggling with a tough rehab case, the Humble Hoof is excited to now offer truck-in services and rehabilitation boarding at our facility in Amesbury, Massachusetts. Check out thehumblehoof.com for more information. Dr. Craig Lesser has popped up on my radar a few times as a handful of his case studies have come across my newsfeed on a few different platforms. I've been especially interested in his approaches to keratomas and chronic abscessing as this is a specialty of his. Dr. Lesser works at Rood and Riddle as a vet podiatrist there. And if anybody has listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you've heard a handful of Rude and Riddle farriers and podiatrists on various episodes and know that they do some pretty interesting work. I reached out to Dr. Lesser to see if he'd be willing to chat with me, and he agreed. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about how you became interested in podiatry in the first place? Yeah, I became interested in podiatry in vet school. I had a classmate who was a farrier before vet school and he needed a new apprentice and, you know, he was offering a pretty decent paycheck and I thought it was going to be easy money. So I did an apprenticeship with him and, you know, I've been a professional college student for five years at that point. So I was so out of shape. It took me uh, three tries to trim a foot before I was able to get it completely trimmed. And I realized I was in kind of a lot of trouble, but I stuck through it and finished up the apprenticeship and planned to go back into sport horse. You know, I, I knew lameness came from the foot and that's the route I decided to go. But when I was doing my internship, I got kind of frustrated because, you know, we were constantly injecting coffin joints and we had all these laminized horses that we were addressing, but I felt like there was more we could do and got a little frustrated with that. So I was offered a fellowship down at Root and Riddle in the podiatry department. I figured I would go learn some more about the foot and then come back into the sport horse world and then apply that there. Then I came down to Root and Riddle and they kind of sucked me in and I've been fascinated ever since about all the things we can do with the foot that can affect the horse, both from a sport horse perspective, but also from a lameness perspective. Yeah. And actually I had the chance to go down to Rudin Riddle in October of 2020. And I was super impressed with the department down there. I think it's really awesome um, what you guys are able to offer and do there. So that's part of the reason why I wanted to reach out to you because of some of the things that I've heard that you're really experienced in. Uh, the two that I've heard that you do a really good job with are chronic abscessing and keratomas. And I'm sure that you do a great job with many other things too. <laughs> um, but I'd love to chat about those because I actually don't have podcast episodes about 
uh, well, at least about keratomas yet, or really diving more deep into chronic abscessing. So first, for those who may not know, can you tell us what a keratoma actually is? So keratoma is just a benign mass of keratin within the hoof, is, is simply what it is. It grows slowly and causes pressure necrosis. So as it grows, it pushes up against the bone and little bits of the bone dies and that'll cause abscessing. So it's one of the many things that we start worrying about when a horse has chronic abscesses that, that possibly might have a keratoma. And do we know what causes the keratoma to form in the first place? Honestly, we don't. And it's it's one of the, honestly, one of the reasons why I stuck with podiatry. There's a lot of unknowns still. Yeah. So let's say, I mean, I know that you just mentioned chronic abscessing, but, you know, if you're coming to a podiatry case, are there other symptoms that would make you suspect a keratoma? Yeah, depending on the location of the keratoma, sometimes you can see a deviation in the sole. That's usually once they're a little bit bigger that you start seeing that. But truly, the most common reason why we see them is because of chronic abscesses. With some cases, we're starting to do MRIs for pre-purchase exams. Some of those cases are picking them up even on pre-purchase exams with MRIs or for, you know, just incidentally for MRIs otherwise. And, you know, so there are keratomas that don't cause any issue? Uh, well, while they're small, they're not causing an issue. But if they grow to the point that they are causing pressure on the bone uh, and then death of the bone, that can cause some issue. But no, we do see a decent number that aren't causing issue. We just sort of find them as incidental. And because the surgery is fairly invasive, we go ahead and leave them in there until they become a, a problem. All right. Yeah. And, you know, I get radiographs sent to me from vets and, and clients, if, you know, just if, even if they just get baseline radiographs. And I'll sometimes see a, a crena or an area of bone loss that makes me a little bit suspicious that something else might be going on. So how, if, if you are looking at some diagnostics, how would you tell the difference between uh, osteolytic aspects of the coffin bone due to chronic abscessing or an infection or osteomyelitis versus a keratoma? Yeah, it, it can be really tough, uh, especially if they're very much so on midline, because on midline, we do have the carina there. So there's a few ways to look at it. The last one I had directly on midline, I had previous radiographs of, and I was able to see that there, it had grown significantly in the past year. So that was a pretty obvious reason we have it. The other thing we can do is we can take some standing obliques for the ones that are conical, and you can actually see the indentation in the bone going up the hoof wall on these. And that, that really helps to determine what they are based on their shape. They're also a very perfectly smooth surface versus a lot of our more infections aren't as smooth and they're more of a modeled look to them. Okay, yeah. And so you mentioned surgery to remove them, but you said that you wait until they're they're causing an issue. What's that kind of, you know line between, okay, we're going to leave it and wait and see, and okay, now we're going to do the surgery to remove the keratoma? Yeah, for me, it's usually abscesses. Uh, if, if we are, well, lameness or abscesses. Uh, so there's, there's two types of keratomas. There's spherical and conical. This spherical ones, they, they're little pearls that you can just sort of pluck out of there. But depending on the size of the keratoma, it can be a fairly large hole in the wall, anywhere from the size of a quarter up to uh, probably two or three times that. And then our conical ones, we actually have to resect from the coronary band all the way down to the ground surface. So it'll be a full year until that horse is back to normal. So I usually use abscesses or lameness as one of my big indicators of it's time to remove these. Okay. And yeah, you mentioned the recovery. So what is that? Well, like, what are you doing for support for the hoof as that 
Hoof is recovering from the surgery. Yeah, so for, for me, the most common ones that I see are the conical ones coming from the coronary band. On those, we remove the whole section of hoof wall from the coronary band down. And then I go ahead and I attach some plates across that that act as an artificial wall and stabilize it. Uh, the number one complication I see for these is if it's not stabilized properly and it starts to collapse on itself because it, we're basically forming a, a big hoof crack. So make sure it's nice and stable is important. And then we're also debriding all the soft tissue. So we need to make sure it's nice and packed tightly. There's lots of good antiseptic in there and preventing any proud flesh from forming as it cornifies. So as, it, as the tissue itself just forms that outer hardened layer. And what is the like success rate in these cases? Is it usually pretty successful? Yeah, no, it's it's usually very successful. I, I recently had my first one that, that it recurred, and that was a pretty complicated one. But usually we're pretty darn successful with these. Uh, as long as you can get the entire lesion all, well, usually a great success on these. All right. And and obviously for the farriers listening, this is this is vet territory, right? This is a surgery that would have to go to a vet hospital. Yeah, this is pretty invasive here, so... Yeah. All right. Well, so is there anything that can be done to reduce the the growth of the keratoma? Like if you find a keratoma, is it just inevitable that it's going to continue to grow? So yes and no. It is a chronic progressive growth. However, I have done some chemotherapeutics on them at surgery to prevent regrowth. Also some lasering, some other things. I have not had any great experience with using that alone, but I would think theoretically there could be some possibility of that slowing growth short term, but I, I personally don't have any experience with it, but it's, okay. a, it's a very interesting concept. Yeah. And so it's not something where, do you think it's like a, a pressure thing? Like would leverage reduction help in those cases or is that not really what's the cause of the growth? You know, I, I definitely do leverage reduction on those ones that aren't causing issue, but we've found incidentally, you know, especially if they're in the toe region. And I think part of that is to prevent any excess stress on the bone and lamina in that region because the lamina is also compromised. But I, I, I honestly don't know if that has much to do with its growth. You know, unfortunately, keratomas are, are one of the reasons why I, I decided to do podiatry is because we don't know a lot about them. And it's, it, they're fascinating and frustrating all at once. Yeah. Yeah. And luckily, I mean, I haven't had, well, I'm sure that I've worked on hooves that have had keratomas, but I haven't had a case that's needed to go in for surgery or had issues to that point. Um, but it's really cool that you've been able to work on so many of them and, and give us these kind of answers. And that's, that's the cool part about what I do now is since this is all, all that I do, I, I get to see a lot of these because, you know, a lot of these diseases we're talking about, most veterinarians and most farriers might see once in their career. They're very rare, you know, and a lot of times they, they do get passed over because in vet school, we had one slide on what a keratoma was. And it's, it's not something that's usually on the forefront of our mind when we're seeing chronic abscesses. So it, it's actually a fairly rare thing that I just lucky enough to live somewhere that we, we get to see all the weird stuff. Yeah. Obviously, chronic abscessing doesn't just come from keratomas. So what are, you, are other causes that you see for chronic abscessing in a hoof? Yeah. So, you know, I guess just to start with, you know, if your horse has multiple abscesses, it's it doesn't hurt to get a radiograph. You know, so I would encourage you if your horse has had multiple abscesses in, in a foot in the course of a year, especially if it's in the course of a few months, to, to get a few radiographs of that foot and see what's there. Keratomas 
are there, but they're not as common as some other things. One of the most common things we see here in Kentucky is septic pedalosteitis, so infection of the coffin bone itself. And then past that, you can also have something called a pedal sequestrum, and that's when a little piece of the coffin bone itself dies and falls off, and the body starts attacking it uh, like it's a foreign object. And we can have things like foreign objects and uh, other causes for abscess, but sometimes those are a little bit harder to see on x-ray, especially if they're made of wood, because wood doesn't show up on x-ray. Right. And so what's your approach to those kind of cases? You know, I don't see a lot of foreign objects. So for those, actually, they're some of my favorite cases. For septic pedalosteitis, so that infected coffin bone, you know, in, in the human world, from my understanding, is they just cut off the digit. But we thankfully don't do that. So we have to be a little bit more aggressive. Traditional, traditional way to do it is to go in there and debride the bone. So go in there with some curettes, and it's a little bit of a search and destroy mission where you just kind of scrape away all the dead infected tissue until you have nice, clean, healthy tissue, and then treat it with some antibiotics. What I see most veterinarians doing is using a combination of systemic and regional antibiotics to treat this. They're using some pretty heavy antibiotics because a lot of these horses do have some vascular compromise in that region when they get some of these infections. But since we're dealing with such big issues with antibiotic resistance, we're really trying to minimize our usage. So I've been using a lot of medical maggots to clean it up. So I can use a little bit of antibiotics, but there's a species of maggots that only eats dead and infected tissue. And we'll go ahead and put them into the wound. And usually over the course of uh, seven to 10 days, they'll go ahead and divide just the dead and infected tissue. And the horse usually does much better that way, as long as the lesion is small enough. Yeah, I've seen that done. I've never done it myself, but it's been so cool to see how that works. And it's obviously like, I mean, in my mind, it's sort of counterintuitive. I mean, it makes sense. But when I think of maggots, I think of, oh, they're in something gross and nasty yeah. and, and dying. So it's it's really cool that they have they have that option for ones that only go after the necrotic tissue. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things to send the horse home to the owner and they saw me put in these just little tiny specks and they open up the treatment plate and then these full-size maggots fall out on them and I usually get a, a bit of a panic phone call, but it's 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 a small joys in life for me. <laughs> yeah, so that's, they can stay at their, their barn, they don't have to be in the hospital for that. Yeah, depending on the owner, but if owners are comfortable with doing the bandage changes, you know, I, I'm pretty lucky I can do most things in the field related to these these processes. Great. And this is kind of like an, an maybe um, different question, but do you see chronic abscesses that correlate to a horse with metabolic conditions? Is that something that you see as a risk factor? We, we definitely do. You know, and I, I kind of throw that into our laminitic category. We see a lot of horses with chronic laminitis slash metabolic disorders that they just they seem to be chronically abscessing. And we struggle in a lot of these horses to get their metabolic status under control. You know, there's, it, there's also a lot of information in the metabolic world that we don't fully understand yet, especially when it comes to testing for it. And then some of these horses, no matter how we change their diet and how we manage them medically, we still can't get their insulin under control. So a lot of those horses, we, we do run into some chronic abscessing. Um, I think kind of the most effective thing has been being pretty aggressive with our shoeing to hopefully keep vascular supply to the foot so we don't get these abscesses and also protect it from the, the ground forces that might be causing bruising in these abscesses and all that stretched lamina from getting filled with mud and debris. 
Yeah. And so actually I'm just looking at some of my, I guess another question I had is if you have a horse that has a really bad abscess that turns into, you know, a bone infection, I guess I should back up. Is there a way to prevent an abscess from turning into a more sinister infection? Yeah. So, you know, aftercare is for everything, especially foot related, it's really important. You know, the foot's down in the dirt. So keeping things clean is really important. You know, so I personally, when a horse has an abscess, uh, if your farrier is skilled at opening and draining abscesses and feels comfortable with that, for me, the, the point of where it needs to come involved, the vet involved is if we haven't opened it up in about three days or if we're getting to the point where there's blood. But before that, you know, most farriers that have experience opening abscesses can open up the vast majority of abscesses. But afterwards, what do we do? We now have this hole in the foot, bigger or smaller, depending if the farrier opened it up or the veterinarian that got excited with their hoof knife decided to open it up. So, you know, I, I usually traditionally wrap them and soak the foot until the drainage is gone. And then depending on location, the environment, a lot of times I'll put a shoe on these horses to prevent mud and debris from being packed up in there and causing the abscess to recur because this is something we didn't say but that's the number one reason why we see recurrence in abscesses is a old track that gets repacked with mud and debris and an abscess recurs do you have a typical timeline for how long until you're confident that that those you know tracks are are fairly safe to <laughs> expose or is it just once it's grown out you know, that's a tough question. You know, we, we have a lot of abscesses that blow out the coronary band. And if they blow out the coronary band, it's a full year till they're completely grown out. And I, I honestly don't keep horses in shoes for a full year. Depending on its size, a lot of times it's, I put a shoe on for a cycle or two until the majority of the defect is grown out. The ones that really undermine the sole and we have this large defect that occurs, sometimes they're in a shoe for a little bit longer than that. And then a lot of horses, honestly, I open up an abscess on and I go ahead and I pack the, whole, the abscess track a week or two later with some antiseptic and then a wax of some sort to seal it up and the horse doesn't look back. But as a whole, you know, those, those ones, we need to make sure they're nice and dry and that there's no residual infection before we seal them back up again. And when you were talking about using the the medical maggots, is that just needed for the that you I think you mentioned ten days? Is that just needed that like one cycle, quote unquote, or do you have to do another round of them after that? For the vast majority, it's just one cycle. I've had a few that have had some significant soft tissue infections, and also or really bad post surgical cases that I've had to do multiple rounds on. Or actually, the ones that we really see a lot is our chronic laminitic horses that have infected coffin bones that have uncontrolled metabolic status. Those ones, we often need multiple rounds, but the vast majority, we just do one round. Unless the defect is really big, those horses, I do usually put a shoe and treatment plate on beforehand just to give the, the little critters a little bit of protection while they're in there. Awesome. All right. I think, I mean, we've kind of like exhausted the questions that I had. Is there anything that you feel like is important that maybe we didn't cover? I guess my biggest thing is when you're getting to the point where you're suspicious, it does not hurt to get an x-ray. I, I know I know that there's a cost to the client, but I've had a lot of cases where we've been dealing with chronic abscesses for uh, weeks before the veterinarian gets involved. And at that point in time, we have a sequestrum or something much, much worse. And I know that's the off case, but you know, if we're struggling with an abscess and we, we don't see good progress quickly, you know, whether it's lameness improving or drainage decreasing, 
it doesn't hurt to get an x-ray and then there's not something bigger going on in there yeah that makes sense you did an awesome job this was incredibly comprehensive um and you have a really great way of answering the questions to make it really um easy to understand for the difference in the audience <laughs> thank you so much for for being able to explain things and and being willing to do this on a, a few days before christmas <laughs> no it worked out well so yeah Perfect. Yeah. And if you need help in the, with anything in the future, let me know. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person. And chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too. So we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.